is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. Cool. So today on the podcast, I have Jill Coleman. How are you doing today? I am great. How are you? Good. So excited to be chatting with you. Um, Jill is amazing and you guys will get to know her in today's episode. Um, she's definitely changed my life and I know so many women. So I want to get started and kind of like go back um, early days because you've been in the fitness industry for a while, but yep. how did you like really first get started with fitness? Yeah. So, I mean, I was one of those lucky people who just loved um, sports growing up and really loved fitness. Like I literally remember going with my best friend at like 10 years old, going for runs and like doing sit-ups and stuff like that. And I was always doing my mom's like uh, Jane Fonda tapes. And when Step Aerobics came out with Reebok, I was really into that. I was always just really into dance. So I think that kind of gave me in sports, which both of those kind of led me to aerobics. So I started teaching like literally like Step Aerobics and Floor Aerobics when I was like 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, just always loved being in the gym, loved the way it felt to feel powerful in my body. And then when I went to college, I ended up getting a degree in exercise science and out of college, really wanting to stay in fitness and not really knowing what that looked like. So I became a personal trainer and I became a full-time, um, I was running a university fitness center and I just felt like the luckiest person on earth that I was able to get a full-time job working in fitness with, you know, a salary and benefits and things like that and just doing my passion. Um, and it wasn't until I did my very first fitness competition or a figure competition when I was 24 years old that I really started paying attention to my nutrition. Up until that point, I was pretty much kind of eating whatever I wanted because I was had that athletic, that like athlete mindset. And so I was just eating to fuel my workouts, which I loved. And it wasn't until I did that first competition that I really started paying attention to my nutrition and seeing my body change for the first time in a real major way. And, you know, I pretty much spent the next six years doing fitness competitions um, and extreme measures, extreme fitness, extreme nutrition practices. Um, and it really wasn't until I started Jill Fit at my business and wanting to get better at business and understand that better that I really had to let go of some of those extreme ways of doing things because I literally just needed more brain power to, to make my business successful. So um, I've pretty much done everything in the industry. I went back got my master's in nutrition. And now, you know, one of my favorite things is just, you know, incorporating really fast fitness solutions for people and, and, you know, sustainable eating practices. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. I've pretty much done everything there is to do in the yeah. fitness space. Um, but it has been a blast. I think it's hilarious to picture you doing step aerobics. Like <laughs> I would still like to like low key, I would still just teach a step aerobics class, but I just hate like having something on my schedule every week. So yeah. I don't even know if people like it anymore. I think it's like, it's just evolved out. Yeah, I think so. So what made you first get started with the figure competitions? Um, I'm new to this. Like, I didn't even know that this existed. And then yeah. I was like, opened up like, oh my gosh, lots of people do this. Yeah. You know, so I think I was kind of like you um, in terms of I loved races. So for me, I was a track athlete growing up. I did um, track and field. I was a athlete. Um, and I always just really was gravitated towards um, individual sports. Like I love the idea that like my successes are my own and my failures are also my own. And so I loved that. I was never really into big into team sports. Um, and I just always had that like kind of perfectionist mindset, that very like controlling type A personality. And so I did a lot of 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons and things like that and triathlons. And, and I've always loved that kind of the competition. 
coming from a sports background. And it wasn't until, um, like I said, a couple of years out of college that I had been reading muscle and fitness and I was looking at oxygen magazine and I started seeing a lot more of the competition type style. Uh, you know, they used to actually have the competitions on ESPN and stuff. Um, I'm kind of dating myself, but this is like 2006. And, you know, I was like, ah, like I could never do that. And also at the time I felt like it looked really extreme. I actually thought like the women looked very masculine. And so I was like, ah, like, I don't know that just that look is so crazy. And what happened was I actually went to a competition, went to the Arnold competition in, um, in Columbus, Ohio. And a lot of the women were tiny. And they looked so big in the magazines, like they were so muscular and they looked like so shredded that I was like, oh my God, these quote women are men. Like that's what I thought. But then when I met them in person and I saw them at the show, I was like, wow, they're tiny. They're literally like a size two, a size zero. Like they weigh 110 pounds. Like, wow, they're so lean and they're so like petite. And up until that point, I thought it was like kind of bodybuilding. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe I could try this. It's a totally different way of doing things. I have never really kind of paid attention to my nutrition. So that was going to be new. And by the way, like that very first time that I did a show, um, was the hardest thing I've ever done up to that point. So I could work out for hours, no issues, like, you know, run myself into the ground. But when it came to paying attention to nutrition and restricting myself, that was a whole other challenge. And I started doing it as a different way to challenge myself. Um, and like anyone who's ever done one of these things, when you do your first diet, and you know this, I'm sure a lot of people listening have done a, a lot of different diets. The very first time you do a diet, like that's when your body's probably the most responsive. So for me, like my body responded very quickly. I mean, I shed water immediately. I mean, I looked like a different person within two weeks, essentially, because I just shed so much water. Um, and I ended up losing about 20 pounds during a five month period and to see my body. And even at that point, I had never really, you know, I, I was like that, that competition weight when I was like in sixth grade. So to get back down to that kind of weight was addictive. It became addictive and it felt as though anything bigger than that or anything, you know, less lean than that was unacceptable. Cause at this point I had seen myself be that lean and get up on stage. And, um, you know, now I think the barrier to entry to getting into shows is a lot lower. Like there's bikini competitions, there's fitness modeling competitions, there's, you know, um, Miss America pageant, like those kind of things. But this was really where you did have to have like a good amount of muscle on your body. So I had already had like a very athletic build. Um, and so to see my body be that lean, I was about 10% body fat was like, okay, I need to just stay this because now that I know it's possible, anything else is unacceptable. And I went into a tailspin of shame and embarrassment after my show was over and I gained 15 pounds of it back within two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I thought I would just live like this now. I thought this would be my new reality. But the bottom line was I was just depriving myself so much that there was absolutely no way that I could possibly stay at that level of leanness. Not only is it unhealthy, but from a psychological standpoint, you know, it's a full-time job. And so it just wasn't going to be able to be sustainable, but I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why there'd be any reason why I couldn't stay that lean. And so when I rebounded, I became really depressed. And I, that's the first time in my life I had actually experienced like some level of depression. I felt very listless. I felt very uh, helpless. I would wear men's large Hanes t-shirts like out in public, even though I was like a normal size, mm -hmm. I really just felt huge. And I felt like people were judging me because weeks earlier I was as lean as I was. And of course there was a lot of like all my friends and family came to my show and I actually won my show. So it was a whole lot of like, wow, this is amazing into like, what am I now chopped liver? And that just did a huge mental disservice that I wasn't ready for. 
And so I felt like the only thing to do at that point was do another show because that's the only way I can get back into this kind of shape and get the affirmation and the approval that I had been getting before. And so it became this just addictive thing. The only way I've ever felt valuable, the only way I ever felt a sense of affirmation was when I was dieting. And when I was getting, quote, getting in shape and when I was doing the hours of cardio. And so I really lost a sense of self-worth through that process. But it was so addictive that I couldn't see outside of it for a long time. Wow. So you, you said you're depriving yourself, you're dieting, you're like doing extreme exercise. What did food and exercise look like when you were in those periods of prepping for a show? Yeah, everything came down to rules. So it didn't matter if I liked the food, if I enjoyed it, if it tasted delicious, whatever, nothing like that mattered. What mattered was, um, am I eating the right foods? And am I eating them in the right um, you know, portions? And am I eating them at the right times of day? So everything became very calculated and very, um, I don't want to say extreme, but very neurotic, to be honest. So it was like, cool, I eat every three hours. And I eat this much protein grams, this much, you know, these only these three carbs. I can't have any other carbs besides these three things. It was like sweet potato, brown rice, and oats. Like that was it. Those are the only three carbs that I really allowed myself. And then the, the proteins needed to be lean protein. So, you know, chicken breast, turkey breast, 99% ground turkey, like 99% ground beef, white fish, like all these things that were so, I mean, I wouldn't even allow myself to have salmon because it had quote too much fat in it. Right. So like healthy fats, but I couldn't have that because it was too much fat. And so, and it was just like, you know, leafy greens, I mean, even to the point where I wouldn't allow myself fruit, I wouldn't allow myself dairy products, right? Because that's, oh my God, that's um, going to help make me retain water and all this kind of stuff. I was looking at the sodium grams on everything, salsa, um, and you know things like peanut butter and nut butters became an addiction for me because they were, quote, healthier foods. They were like, oh, like I, you know, I can have a little bit of nut butter on my diet, and that was became like the thing. So I couldn't fathom having a piece of pizza or even a bite of pizza because then I'm quote eating pizza and it's just off to the races. And so there were, it was very much based on food lists. These foods are acceptable. These foods are not acceptable. And what happened was I would be eating out of a Tupperware and it would take me like, you know, 30 seconds to eat a chicken breast and some broccoli and half of a sweet potato. And then I would just be like, okay, now I wait another three hours and 59 minutes until I can eat again. And so it felt, it was just this constant deprivation. It was a constant white knuckling. And on top of that, um, I was obsessed with food. I would be watching cupcake wars and watching these baking shows and just like salivating over foods that I couldn't eat. And it became like a full-time mental job. And I remember just every second trying not to eat chocolate. I'd be like, okay, I bargained with myself. Okay. I can have a uh, sugar-free chocolate. And if anyone's ever had sugar-free chocolate, like, <laughs> it is not pleasant if you overeat that. It's just like really, it's a lot of sugar alcohols and maltitol and stuff like that. And you get a bunch of GI upset and but I would bargain with myself that I could have sugar-free chocolate here and there. And I would just go off the rails. I would cheat. I wouldn't, I would hide food. I would, you know, eat in secret, all these kind of things. I was still doing all this cardio. And because of that, I ended up, my cravings and my hunger were nonstop. It was a full-time mental job to keep this up. And, but I didn't know what to do differently. I was terrified to do anything differently. Mm -hmm. And then, so you do a show you, you do all this work, all the cardio, the tracking food and everything. And then you said you would rebound and eat, you know, gain weight in two weeks. So what did food and exercise look like after a show was done? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was off to the races in terms of just like all these foods. I remember I would go to a show and I would bring whatever, like 
treats and sheets and all that kind of stuff that I wanted to have, I'd bring it with me. So I'd have a whole jar of peanut butter. I would have, you know, um, Reese's PCs. I would have gummy bears. I would have all this stuff. And meanwhile, my body hadn't had any of that kind of stuff for months. Um, and also on top of that, I was completely depleted, like from a, I was completely dehydrated too. So the second we know that like, you know, carbohydrate insulin pulls water into the, into the cell, into the muscle cell. So it's like, you're all, even if you just eat a little bit of carb, you're going to put on some size. Mm -hmm. So, um, once I started drinking water, um, and then I would just balls out. I remember being so sick after my shows, like the night of my show, one time I went to cheesecake factory and I got a bacon cheeseburger, um, a whole side of fries and a whole piece of chocolate peanut butter cheesecake. And I ate it all within like 30 minutes and I couldn't even breathe. Like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't even lay on my side. I was in bed on my stomach. It was the only way I could even lay down that was comfortable. Because, I mean, your stomach shrinks too, right? It's not used to that. It's not used to having to digest all this fat and all these carbs and all that kind of stuff. I would stuff myself. I'd make myself sick. And then I'd wake up the next day and I would just be like, okay, how am I going to do this? But I didn't know what regular eating looked like. I didn't know what normal eating looked like. I remember going to the grocery store after my first show and being like, I don't know what to buy. Meanwhile, I'd been grocery shopping for myself for like 10 years and I didn't know what to buy. And that was a really weird place to be. Like, do I buy diet food? Am I on a diet still? Or like, how do I? And so it became just one or the other. I was either completely off eating whatever I wanted or I was dieting. And that those are the only two options. I didn't know how to eat in the middle. I didn't know what that looked like. It didn't, it didn't seem hardcore enough. I might as well, if I'm going to have fruit, I might as well just be eat candy, right? If I'm going to have dairy, I might as well just eat pizza. It, they were the same to me because neither one of them were diet foods. And so um, I was still exercising a lot. In fact, I'd probably go to the gym, do 90 minutes on the stair mill just to be like, okay, cool. Let me just burn 1200 calories right now. Um, that will take care of some of this overindulging that I've done. But the key with that is, you know, and then I do more cardio later or whatever. I'd be sometimes at the gym three times a day oh and do that. Like, yeah, not only is it a full-time <laughs> job, but like it takes all day. Cause you're just thinking about, it. I got to go to the gym later. So it was, um, it was really, um, compulsive and really obsessive, but I didn't know what eating in the middle looked like. And so, yeah, if I wasn't dieting, I was completely off. What was your joy level around food and exercise? Like as you're on the Stairmaster for 90 minutes, like what's going through your head? Like how happy are you doing those things? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always loved exercise. So for me, yeah. I really, I've always loved the, the feeling of exercise. That was never, it was never like, I got to the point where I was really sick of it. I hated the long duration cardio. I hated that. That was to me, I got to the point where I really hate that. Whereas before, you know, I do like two step classes in a row if I wanted, you know what I mean? But it was more fun exercise. It was joyful. It wasn't because I need to burn a certain amount of calories. I remember I had this system as I was getting closer to a show I would increase my daily caloric burn by 150 calories. So, you know, let's just say week number one, I was burning a thousand calories every day on through cardio, right? Through exercise. Then next day it was the next week, it was 1150. Then the next week it was 1300. Then the next week it was 1450. Literally, this is just from like a machine on a cardio machine, like, uh, you know, that you see when you see the calories that you're burning on an elliptical machine, like that's what I was looking at. And I just had this very systematic way of increasing and burning extra calories every single day as the weeks went on. Um, so the joy was definitely taken out of it. I mean, I would read books, I'd watch whole, you know, uh, television shows, movies. Like, I mean, I would just be on cardio all the time and it felt like a job. It really did. It became joyless. I, I lost my passion for exercise. It didn't feel fun anymore. I didn't feel like an athlete anymore. Um, and food was either, um, even the, the kind of cheating food 
that was like delicious still instilled a lot of guilt and shame. So even when I was quote off and I was eating the things that I wanted and the things I was craving, I still could never fully enjoy it because I still felt so much guilt and shame over it. So I was judging myself as I'm doing it. And I feel helpless to do anything different because my physiology is so deprived and so depleted that it's all I can do is like, I got to just like, eat this entire bag of cookies, but I still feel bad about it every single second. Mm-hmm. So what was like the final straw that got you like, okay, cool. I can't do this anymore. Like I have to do something else. Like what, what happened? I think, you know, to go back and, and just to go back about the joy question is I did find moments of joy when I was really shredded and then that's okay. what was that was really addictive. And that's what really was tough was because, you know, the last like three, four, five, six weeks before a show, you feel really in control. I think that's the thing about when your diet, even if you're feeling deprived, you're seeing changes in your body week to week and your clothes are fitting great. And like people are commenting you on you and like, they're giving you affirmation for your body. What are you doing? Looks so great. So there is those, you know, that, that fleeting sense of joy or relief even that like it's working. People are noticing I'm somebody, I mean, all this stuff is so embarrassing to say now, but looking back, I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but the joy was in the attention that I was receiving for my body, for my work ethic, for everything I was willing to sacrifice for that. You know, it's funny because I go to Gold's Gym here in Venice, which is like, it's a, it's called the, the Mecca of bodybuilding. So we have a lot of people who go to that gym who are competing. And I see women all the time with these amazing physiques and these shredded bodies that obviously they poured so much time and effort into, they've sacrificed so much. And now I used to get triggered by that. Like, oh my God, I should be leaner. I should be leaner. But now I can just see it and really just appreciate it and go like, wow, they're, they're giving up so much and they're willing to sacrifice so much for that. And at the same time and in the same breath going, I don't want to do that. I would never want to do that. I did that. I know what that life is like and it's amazing for them and that's their personal choice. I can love and appreciate that physique without actually wanting it and feeling bad about myself for not being there. And so the joy came from seeing the transformation of my body. And so when I decided to do something different finally, I, like all people, I think you have to get to a point of feeling extremely fed up and complete misery to the point where you're willing to do the thing you're most scared of. So for me, the thing I was most scared of was, you know, gaining a whole shitload of weight and like losing, like, I thought my husband would leave me. I thought my business would go under. I was at this time, I'm a full-time fitness professional, right? So if I gain 50 pounds, all of a sudden I'm not credible and I'm not getting attention. I'm not getting affirmation for my looks. I'm not, you know, my husband won't be attracted to me, like whatever that storyline is. And I don't think I was conscious of it at the time, but I was just got so far. I was like, fuck it. Honestly, I will gain 50 pounds. I just don't give a shit. I cannot keep eating this disgusting food. And so it was at a point where I had been dieting straight for about nine months. I had a bunch of photo shoots and shows lined up. And at the end of that period, I didn't have anything else on my calendar. And at that point, normally I would go, okay, cool. What's my next show? What am I going to do my next thing? I lived and died by diet start dates. Okay, on this date, I'm going to start, and this is what's going to be. And I liked the organization of that. I think you know, it feels really organized uh, to have a start date, and I have a show, and I'm working towards something or whatever. And so to feel as though there's no goal in sight, there's no like physique goal, felt really disorienting. But honestly, it felt like a little bit of a relief too. So I consciously was like, I remember I had this, I remember exactly where I was. I was walking across campus at the time at Wake Forest where I was working. And I had this internal kind of conversation with myself and I was like, well, Jill, you don't have any other events on your calendar. So you have to figure out how to eat forever. Like you have to figure out how to do this forever. And that was terrifying. But at the same time, I was so disgusted by the dieting food and and doing food prep every Sunday and this kind of like groundhog day. 
um, and just feeling in misery all the time and not enjoying my food that I was just like, you know what? I just don't give a shit. I'm not cooking food this week. I just am not prepping food. And it was the first time I hadn't prepped food in like seven years. I'm like, I'm not prepping food. And if I end up at McDonald's every meal, it's fine. It's fine. I literally don't care at this point. And what happened that during that week was really important and really powerful for my experience, which was I assumed I would have zero willpower. I assumed I would be eating everything constantly and that I would be at McDonald's, drive through every meal, every meal and stuff like that. But what happened was I didn't eat quote perfectly, but I also didn't go off the rails. I would do things like protein bars and protein shakes and take out salads and, you know, a couple bites of this and that things that I had previously maybe not allowed myself to have on a dieting kind of on a diet. Um, and it got to the end of the week and I didn't gain weight. And I was like, wow, I didn't prep my food. So I wasn't like super prepared. And I also like didn't gain like I thought I would. And so for me, that experience of that week allowed me to start trusting myself that there was a different way that could possibly work for me. So I think that was this thing I was the most scared of was I only knew one way and doing anything different felt like losing control. And so when you go into, I'm going to do something a different way, you just assume that your world's going to blow up because you're losing that locus of control and experiencing that I, that, that did not happen gave me a lot of hope that I could do, do things a different way. And that was the beginning of Moderation 365, which is my nutrition philosophy. And I didn't know it at the time, but the way I started eating was what I called navigating the middle, going, how can I make this meal a little bit more satisfying so that it's not as depriving? And then how can I use this, these little moments of satisfaction in my eating to take the edge off feelings of deprivation so I don't binge this weekend? That I don't feel like, oh my God, I'm going to have to start a diet at some point, so I might as well eat everything in sight right now because at some point these foods are going to be taken away from me. And so, yeah, it, it'd be, it started a three-year journey into moderation. It took me a long time to go from all or nothing. I mean, I just shared with you my crazy experience. So it took me three years to finally get to the point where I ate the same every single day and it wasn't off the rails and it also wasn't never perfect. It was, you know, it was just in the middle. And so then I looked back at that experience and kind of reverse engineered what worked for me. And I put that into my moderation 365 course. Yeah. I talk a lot about this time. I saw you eating a spoonful of marshmallow fluff and peanut butter. And I was like, how can she do that? And that really opened up to me like, huh, maybe, like, maybe this is okay. This is okay. So what, what is, what does food look like now? Are you eating marshmallow fluff for every meal? You said it's like, you know, I try not to be a part of, I feel like the social media environment where you see these people who are super shredded eating like a bacon cheeseburger and fries and being like, it's okay to cheat on your, like, I just, I don't yeah. like that because I think that misrepresents. I think we only see the like times when they're cheating. And to be honest with you, I would say, I would say 85 to 90% of my diet is, is lean protein and vegetables and fats. That's pretty much what it is. So for example, you know, I don't eat a lot of carbs only because not for any reason, except I just don't, they don't do anything for me. I don't crave them. I don't, um, you know, like it doesn't make me feel like I have good energy, like nothing like that. I'm more of a dietary fats person. So when I say that, I mean, I do things like cheese and nuts and avocado and, you know, um, chocolate and, uh, bacon and cured meats and cheese and, and ranch dressing. Like those are the kind of quote cheats that I do now. It's more like in the form of dietary fats. Um, carbs are fine. I'm not against them. It's not like they're bad or anything, but just for me, they aren't my thing. Um, so right now I would say probably 85 to 90% of my diet is, you know, big ass salads with things that are delicious, like ranch dressing or, um, you know, some cheese on top, avocado, having a little, and some bacon bites or whatever. Like I have all of that stuff. Um, or just, I eat like most of the time I don't cook. I still have not cooked since that, <laughs> that week. I have not cooked. 
in uh, seven years or eight years. Um, but my boyfriend who I live with actually cooks. And so at nighttime he'll have, I don't know, make us like steak or chicken thighs or something like that with usually just like vegetables, like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, something like that with a delicious, you know, with butter and stuff like that or coconut oil or whatever so that they actually taste good. And then maybe like sweet potato or something like that. So the foods have to taste good and they have to be satisfying for me. So yes, do I eat marshmallow fluff every once in a while? Um, but I don't want people to get the idea that like that's all I eat. So I mean, I pretty much eat salads, protein, veggies, dietary fats, coffee, chocolate, and wine, pretty yeah. much as a diet. <laughs> so like looking at your joy level around food now compared to where it was, you know, years ago. What's what's your joy level now? It is. It's a hundred percent. And I think that sometimes we think, so I talk a lot about satisfaction and that being the goal. And so some people you'll get the, the impression that satisfaction is eating your eating, whatever you want all the time and feeling eating to the point of being stuffed. Like if I said to you, okay, Jacqueline, like, you know, eat to satisfaction. You might be like, well, a dozen donuts is satisfying. And it's like, actually it's not because we have all the feelings on top of like feeling the physical physiological feelings of that doesn't like really feel good in our stomach. We feel stuffed. We feel maybe anxious. We feel stressed, right? So satisfaction is not the same as stuffing yourself. And so satisfaction to me is eating to a point of feeling like this is good. This I'm good here. I could eat more. And I could eat worse shit, but I actually don't need it or want it. And it's taken me a long time to get to that point. So I think for if you're still in a dieting mindset, um, you know, you might be like, well, I want to have pizza and I want to have burgers. And it's like, cool, I have all of that stuff too. I just don't seek it out as much because I'm not um, mentally preoccupied with food as much as I used to be. So from a, a joy perspective, I'm not like pizza's fine, burgers are fine tacos, whatever are fine. They're all fine. It's just, I don't feel the compulsion to seek those foods out anymore. But if I'm somewhere and there is pizza, I'm like, cool, I'll have a slice. Like there, so I think it's more, I really seek out foods that make me feel good physiologically and give me a sense of uh, satisfaction of my palate. And, the, and I've just become very discerning with that stuff. So I don't deprive myself at all. It's just the foods that I consciously seek out tend to be more healthy foods. And then what I call preemptive cheats, things like chocolate, wine, cream in my coffee, you know, ranch dressing, like these kind of nutritional gimmies or nutritional relief that helps me stay like that so that I can eat, you know, 80 to 90% healthy most of the time. That's awesome. I love that. So I... I hear this a lot too. Like, so you went through this period where you were competing, like the competitions were the thing that like would get you to exercise. And I kind of went through the same thing with races and with marathons. It was like the only time I was running was when I was training for a marathon and you're not doing competitions right now. You're not doing races. So like what, like what is exercise look for, look like for you now? And like, where does the motivation come from? Um, you know, my goal is minimum effective dose. I love training and I love feeling strong. It was interesting. Uh, we did, uh, so Danny J who's my, my host on the podcast that we have, which is called the best life. Both of us, we got like a free kind of comped trip to go down to Costa Rica and try ayahuasca, which is like a plant medicine. It's a hallucinogenic. And it really isn't something that I see as part of my like self-concept doing like psychedelics or hallucinogenic. That to me is not really part of like who I am. And it's not that I'm against it per se, but just wouldn't be something I would consciously seek out. But Danny wanted to do it. And so in order for us to get the free 
uh, visit in the whole thing is we had to come down and we had to do some podcast interviews and whatever. So it was interesting when we, so I took the plant medicine and part of the experience is you have this, this part of like happens at the beginning, which they call a purge. So the purge can be, you know, it can be vomiting, it can be crying, it can be laughing hysterically, it can be using a restroom, like, you know, you just don't really have like a control of your bowels and stuff like that. And it was interesting when I did it, I, and you have to go through that purging period first to be able to get to the insight that the medicine wants to give you or whatever. And so I found myself really battening down the hatches when it came to my physical body. Like, I didn't want to purge. I was like, I don't want to purge. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to get sick. And so the insight for me was how much I value my physical strength and like my physical body. And that was really interesting. And I was like, wow. So for me, I really identify very strongly with being a physically strong woman. Not like I'm a power lifter or anything like that. But like, for me, it's extremely important. Um, and so I didn't realize until that moment how important it really was for me. So exercise is always going to be part of my value system. It's just literally like, but I need to figure out a way to enjoy it. And so I went through those years of really dreading exercise and kind of hating long duration cardio. And it wasn't until I started doing CrossFit back in like 20, I would say 2015, that I started really loving exercise again. I was like, wow, I can do these workouts that are short, that are intense, that make me feel strong in my body that don't take all day. And so it started in CrossFit and then I, I don't do CrossFit anymore, but now it morphed into more metabolic conditioning. And now it's kind of even a goal of mine to see like how little I can get away with. So for me, I'll be at the gym for like 15, 20 minutes and the person at the front desk is like, that's it. I'm like, yeah, I just don't see it as we don't need to spend all day there anymore. So for me, I try to think about what's going to give me the biggest bang for my buck, what is going to make me feel strong and powerful and what is, and that's mostly weight training by the way. So I do maybe 10% of my exercise is cardio at this point. Most of it's weight training. Um, and I'm, I'm noticing that like my clothes are still fitting and like it's still working. And, and so having that experience of going to really short duration, high intensity workouts, mostly weight training based, uh, and everything still is great. I can still eat what I want. I still eat moderately. My clothes still fit. I still feel confident in my body and strong. Then like, I'm just like, why would I do anything else? So who knows? There's always a different iteration. I think you're always in a different place, maybe mentally. Maybe I'll get sick of this some point and want to, you know, train for a marathon. Who knows? Uh, but I'm open to it. And so maybe I'll go back to step aerobics. You never know. <laughs> I would love that. Actually. It's so funny. I love like trance music. Do you like, do you like like techno or trance? And not no. really. Yeah. <laughs> so my boyfriend is like, why do you like this? I'm like, you don't understand. The original techno was aerobic music. And so I just grew up with all of that. And so it's so funny. So, I mean, now for me is I want to feel powerful my body. I want to feel yeah. strong. I want to do mostly weight training. And I like having muscle. Like I just yeah. really like it. And so for me, that's, that's mostly where I'm at right now. That's huge. And it's such a, like a 180. So like before it was like these maximums that you we were able to sustain for a short period. And now it's like this minimum that you can do consistently. Like a 15 minute workout is nothing, but it's super intense during yeah. those 15 minutes. I love that. Sure. So um, I know we chatted a little bit about like, like the super shredded guy eating a bacon cheeseburger that makes you angry. What else out there on the internet with diets or exercise just yeah. makes you angry? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of past my anger point at this point because I do, I kind of see it as everyone deserves to have the full experience just like I did. I did go through a period of time where I felt very much like it was my obligation to like please it all I went through this period of time, especially when I was kind of coming into my own and, and learning about moderation. And I felt a huge, I felt done a huge disservice by the industry. I was a casualty of 
competition life. I was a casualty of extreme dieting. And, you know, I remember the first time I rebounded after my very first show, I just didn't, wasn't ready for it. No one told me about it. My coach didn't tell me about it. Um, Oxygen magazine wasn't talking about it. So I felt really, um, I felt really isolated. I felt a lot of shame because I was like, is this, am I the only person this is happening to? Does everyone else just get in shape and stay in shape? And meanwhile, this is back in 20, 2006, 2007, where like we didn't really know how to use social media yet, right? So you only see competition photos. You only see like modeling, like, at least for me. So I didn't see people who are rebounding. I just didn't. So um, for me, I felt really done wrong by the industry for a long time, even though I was part of the industry, which is a weird place to be. And so when I started coming into moderation and started really um, having my own experience, I started sharing it. And so at Jill Fit, between the years of like 2011 to 2014, 2015, I was really steeped in a lot of nutrition education. Um, and at that point, I would go and I would check out other people's pages, these competition coaches who I felt like were doing a huge disservice. And I'm embarrassed even at some of the early coaching I was doing, giving people meal plans and telling them they just have to be compliant and kind of running people into the ground. And, you know, looking back, people were losing weight, but they were gaining it all back, just like I did. And I had a lot of shame around the fact that I was experiencing rebounding and I couldn't even stay on a diet I was giving my client. And so I had a, like a big kind of come to Jesus moment about my own kind of the disservices I was doing, making people more neurotic, making people more obsessive. So when I started teaching moderation, I would feel like I need to police other coaches or other kind of like, you know, I don't know, influencers or whatever, and not like a direct way, but I remember reading a blog of someone's and then I'd go and write my own kind of counter argument and stuff like that. So anything that was extreme, anything that was over promising, anything that was being negligent in terms of what, um, potential rebounding could happen or yo-yo dieting, anything super extreme, anything based on like, you just have to be stronger. You have to you have more willpower really always got to me because it, it brought back, I think the shame that I felt in those moments where I felt like I didn't have the willpower. And so I felt almost like I need to take up for my own clients. I need to take up for all the people who like me didn't really have a voice. And so I spent years kind of trying to unpack some of those arguments and talk about practice and talk about patience and talk about sustainability and talk about consistency. Now we're seeing that messaging everywhere, but back in 2011, like no one was really talking about that. And so, you know, that for me became now, honestly, if I'm honest, like I feel as though I've made such a 180 in nutrition and I've, and I've kind of taught everything that I that I think about nutrition. So at this point I'm, I'm a little bit disenchanted with nutrition, to be honest, just because I feel like I've already like taught everything I wanted to teach on it. Um, and so I don't really have those. I don't get those triggers anymore. When people come to me and they're like, I really want to do a show, but you know, I've heard your story and I'm really scared that's going to happen to me. And I'm like, look, I had zero awareness. The fact that you have any awareness means that you're going to be just fine and you deserve to have the full experience. So for someone listening to this and maybe you've never experienced this, but you want to do a diet, like do one, but just stay aware and then come back to us when you're struggling because this <laughs> safe space and like we know what it's like and whatever. And so I do believe that everyone deserves to have the full experience. I'm not going to try and prevent people from doing what they want because ultimately they should do what they want, have the full experience, just like you and I have the lessons, go through the shit, make sure it's messy, but then come back and, and stay engaged with the process and figure it out for a final time. That's huge. I think you've said that before, like sometimes going to the extremes helps us figure out what we actually want to do, like coming to the middle. I think so. You know, for people who maybe don't have a history, and by the way, it doesn't need just to be competition prep. If you're listening to this and maybe you've just done Weight Watchers in the past and lost weight and then you gained it back, you did Whole30 and you lost weight, then you, you, you recognize the same emotions, right? The, the emotions are the same. It's shame, it's guilt, it's embarrassment, it's uh, regret, it's self-loathing. It's all the same things. 
Uh, so it doesn't matter if it's a competition or not. Anytime you've done like extreme dieting, I talked to my mom who's never dieted in her entire life and she has a completely normal relationship with food. She's just like, I don't understand why you're eating all that stuff. I don't understand why you're like talking about that. Like to her, it just doesn't because she's always had like a normal relationship with food. She's like eat until she's, you know, full and she stops when she's full and like she eats when she's hungry. And like that to me was just, I couldn't, if someone had said to me when I was in that very obsessive place, just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, I wouldn't have even known. I don't even know when I'm hungry, right? I'm so detached from my, my body cues that I wouldn't have even understood that. And I would have been like, I don't know what that means. I don't even, so if someone tells me to eat intuitively, I couldn't have heard that. And so I think in order to have quote, a normal relationship with food, you know, sometimes you do have to go to extremes to know what those look like and then make a conscious decision that you're going to practice coming back to the middle and, and really practice that. Mm-hmm. That's huge. So what books have you read? Um, and they don't have to be nutrition related, but what books have you read that have changed your life that you really think people should read? Um, yeah, to be honest, I really don't read a whole lot of nutrition books. I've read a lot of books on, um, willpower and habit change and positive psychology and things like that. So if you're listening to this, this kind of resonates with you. I would start with something like, um, trying to think, uh, the willpower instinct by Kelly McGonigal is a really great book. Um, I would read, I love like Byron Katie's work. She's a kind of a personal development person, but she's steeped in reality. So if you've ever tried to read maybe a self-help book like Eckhart Tolle or something like that. It feels a little bit intangible to you. I like Byron Katie's work because it's very down to earth and it's very tangible and there's actual like exercises and tools that you can use. Uh, there's a book called The Tools that I really like and that is, uh, I'm trying to think of who writes that. Um, Howard Schwartz, I think. Um, it's called the tools. It's very, again, tactical type stuff that can help you in your journey. When you feel insecure, you feel like you're beating yourself up. You feel like you are, um, there's the power of habit by Charles Duhigg. That's a really good book. So I would recommend reading things that help you feel more compassionate towards yourself. And I think, and it's kind of counterintuitive because we think, oh, if I've just, you know, overindulged or I've gone quote off my diet, we don't really want to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We don't want to really show ourselves kindness because we sometimes feel like feels like that's going to make us eat more. We're going to overindulge more. We're saying it's okay on some level. We're condoning the behavior. And what they've actually shown in research is that self-compassion and showing yourself kindness and understanding in those moments of quote, messing up actually makes you feel um, more encouraged to eat better and stay healthier and be more compliant. So I always say that self-compassion is a compliance tool. It's whereas if we beat ourselves up and we feel guilty, we feel shame, feel all these things. Sure. It might keep us for a couple meals eating quote perfectly, but in time you can't really, you know, sustainably change your body or sustainably even just eat healthy from a place of self-hate that just doesn't work. And so unpacking some of those awareness things, um, that's why I do like books that are a little more personal development based because it actually it prompts you to, to do introspection work, which I think sometimes we just don't do. We think, oh, it's just about the food I eat, it's just about the exercise I do, and we take away that the human component of it, which is like I'm a person and I have feelings and this stuff is tough, and I think it's okay to acknowledge that those things and acknowledge that you're on a journey. So, personal development books, Power of Habit, Willpower Instinct, um, Atomic Habits is a new one that I just read. The Tools, and then um, Byron Katie's work. She has a book called Loving What Is that I'd start with. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, all right, Jill, if people want to connect with you, where are the best places they can find you? 
Awesome. I would love to connect with people. Um, you can find me probably the best is on Insta. If you want to go to at Jill fit or at moderation 365, uh, we talk mostly about nutrition today. So moderation 365 is where I put most of my nutrition content. So if you're interested in some of the tools that we talked about and how to do this stuff and practice and see examples, that would be the best place. And then if you guys want to get my email newsletter, which I'll just send out usually weekly or every two weeks on different, you know, kind of what's going on, mindset, content, nutrition stuff, fitness stuff. Um, just go to jillfit.com and add your email address anywhere on the website and you'll be on. Awesome. Thanks so much today, Jill. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Erica, I'll talk to you soon. Hey, quick heads up that the Imperfect Eating Facebook group is growing and it's so exciting. Every Friday I do a live training in there uh, based on your questions. So we cover different topics like stress eating, emotional eating. And so you're going to want to be a part of this Facebook group if you are saying things like, oh my gosh, I'm still struggling with stress eating or I just love food too much. I can't do a diet because I love it too much and I just eat constantly or, you know, how do I know when enough is enough? I, I eat and then I go overboard. Or, you know, I can do all or I can do nothing. I can be strict or it's well, well, less. But, like, what does balance actually look like? So if these are things that you're struggling with, definitely check out the show links, live trainings every single Friday at 12 p.m. And then you can submit your questions, something you're struggling with. Can't wait to meet you in there. Take care.